Yeah. Yeah, old school. That's what I'm talking about. Listen, this ain't for everybody. Some of y'all need to hear this. I know you're in the trenches fighting, but check it out. I'm going to put it down like this so I can help the saints understand. Everything you're going through is all part of the master plan. Or what? You thought because you got saved, everything was going to be peaches and cream? You better wake up, son. Don't nothing come to a sleep but a drink. Faith without works is dead. Read your Bible. You know what it says. He who don't work, don't eat. Slackers don't get fed. Huh, yeah. Jesus said, he who puts his hands to the plow looks back the same ain't fit. Some of y'all ain't been in the Christmas five minutes and you're about ready to quit. I ain't mad at you. I'm just hitting you with the real. <laughs> if you die for me and I was still tripping, now how you think that make you feel? Check this out. Deep game. This is deep, huh? Some of y'all ain't sawing nothing but you started trying to reach, huh? But after him who's able to possess your father by his glory. Struggles might be part of your testimony, but it ain't the end of the story. Now the point is this prophesied way back in the day. Choir, sing your hook right here and see if the church can relate. Say it so 
much more eloquently than I could have put it, but you're absolutely right, because I don't know anyone that's not dealing with some of these issues, if not all of them. You know, we we are a society today where the biggest challenge I, I, I would say that we all face is we highlight it in the U.S. thinking that we're, we're unique to the issue, but the internet has, has really shrunk the world and has made it a, an opportunity for everyone. And that opportunity is recognizing that the great equalizer, the one thing we, doesn't matter what we were born into, doesn't matter our gender, doesn't matter our ethnicity, doesn't matter how much money we have, none of it matters because the one thing you can't buy is an additional hour of time. You get 168 hours, no more, no less. How we use it is what separates the boys from the men and the women from the girls. So that's our goal. Figure out how do we actually master time because we're not going to get any more. I like to say time is the only thing in life we can't replace. Indeed. Indeed. So it really kind of starts at Deming, who was uh, in, in Japan after World War II, said very eloquently, a bad system will beat a good person every time. And I would say that's kind of the crux of what many people are struggling with today, is that we have bad systems for good people, people who mean well, but they're going to get beat until they understand how to create a system that will work for them. So you know, that's what I'm here to talk Cooper, about. So it's, it's so funny that you said that because I have to say it a little bit different, and but it's kind of like on the same lines. You know, I was just telling somebody else the other day, if uh, everybody else is cheating and you're the only one playing by the rules, you're going to lose every time. There you go. That's it. So – what we need to realize is who's cheating. And if we look back at, at the American Revolution, it was kind of like the popularized, the historical kind of, of moment in history where the United States won its freedom because we actually broke from tradition. We fought guerrilla warfare. And we might think that that's nasty, but that's actually what achieved our victory in our, our, our democracy today. But it's being used against us as well today, and that is, is who's cheating is the social media systems, the, the technology, the marketing. They're using guerrilla warfare tactics. I mean, we live in a society where we have constant alarms. We have notifications. We have multiple communication channels bombarding us, right? So we have how many phones? We have Skype, we have WeChat, we have WhatsApp, we have Facebook and Pinterest, on and on it goes. And it's actually preventing us from living in the present moment. And that, my friend, is a guerrilla tactic strategy that's beating good people. It makes a lot of sense since you put it that way. And a lot of people don't realize that. You know, I've been in the record business for many years, you know, and and I'm looking at the invent of the Internet. Everybody thought it was just a wonderful thing because now it didn't take a week or two to get your music, you know, to Asia. Now you can do it in less than 30 seconds. And now all of a sudden, <laughs> the, the, now all of a sudden, you know, the record industry is crying about this whole digital thing because, you know, back in the day, you used to have some serious dollars to have a studio. You, you know, now for a few thousand dollars, you can record mm-hmm. some digital stuff in your bathroom. So uh, you know how that market has been flooded. So now they're trying to figure out how they can go back to vinyl because it's so hard to track the money now. So, you know, <laughs> it created a whole other issue, you know, kind of like the same point which you're making. Well, I think that one of the other benefits that we, we may be discounting about vinyl is that vinyl is about creating a presence. It's about actually slowing us down to actually just be present in listening to the authenticity, listen to you know, the, the richness of what's being played on that record. And so by doing that, it actually enriches our experience. And the challenge that we have you know, is with other forms of technology, other systems today, 
is kind of like looking at you can train people and give them knowledge, or you can, you know say there's an app for that. But putting them back into a messed up dysfunctional system is only an insult. So we've got to change our brain's operating system as well as the way that we use our tools today. And maybe that's part of what Vinyl is attempting to do. It's on its way back. I can't fit that into my car very well, though, especially my little road <laughs> convertible. No, it won't go into your car, but it'll go back into your home where, you know, we used to be able to have those, you know, devices. I remember I used to, uh, I'm not going to even say that because I was going to date myself. I was going to say I had a record player 45 back in my car, which I did. True story. Um, It it only worked, uh, you know, when we parked somewhere, but, I mean, it was just cool to have because that was something that everybody didn't have, you know. Heck, yeah. I was going to say you got to have some heck of a good shocks on those things. (laughs) Oh, man, you know, well, I don't know if you know about lowriders, but, you know, we did all of that kind of crazy stuff, you know. I'm from Motown, man. I, heck yeah. Okay. Might not be L.A., but you know we invented the automobile there, so we saw it all. Okay, so you know we went from the cars uh, to the to the motorcycles to the boats and to the horses and whoever else what we're doing right about now. So, so uh, Mr. Cooper, tell us a little bit about you. I understand that. Um, I guess you were a Marine. Is that what I read somewhere? I I am a former Marine. I am a former major. I had, I think, 33 major sponsors in the Ironman triathlete uh, circuit. Uh, worked for a small little computer company you've probably never heard of called Microsoft. And I retired oh, from there man. at the age of 35. You, you've heard of them before. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's everybody. So, okay. yeah. So retired at 35, I've been an elected official for uh, over a decade. I've been out of that for probably about five years, and I've worked for and partnered with the number one coaching organization in the world and was uh, by my mentor and partner uh, called his uh, golden coach for for many, many years. And he and I went separate ways in 2016, and I decided – okay, I'm ready to go back and, and stand out on my own stage here and, and share my own message with the world. And so that's that's really what I'm doing today is I've learned what it means to create a, a legendary life or experience. And now my goal is to serve one to many and help people be the hero of their own book, of their own movie script. And so that's my commitment today, and I, I do that through uh, professional life coaching, uh, billionaires, professional athletes, Olympians, and just everyday people like me. And I have a couple foundations where I go and, and give back to others in and, and places like Guatemala, where I've been there for about 12 years, and New Zealand, working with indigenous tribes. So I, I keep uh, keep my hands busy. Well, it seemed like it, man. It seemed like you well-traveled and touched a lot of people man and that's you know that's a fantastic thing and i think that's what uh we should do when we get to a certain place in life i think we should try to reach out and touch and help as many people as we can indeed when you uh chad when you speak uh, of a legendary lifestyle is that uh, an individual thing uh does each individual have their own I guess, a dream or goal that you expand upon, or do you help formulate a plan? Well, I like to look at at a legendary life experience the way that we look at a fingerprint, and each person's is unique. No, No single person or no two people are alike. And so a legendary life is also like that fingerprint. It's very unique. It's about defining what that means to you not letting society define it. And so it's about whether that is spiritual, physical, mental, you know, what are the aspects that go into that? And having the courage to navigate your own purposeful future. And so it begins with looking at that foundation, which is our purpose and language. And when we understand our purpose, as Mark Twain said, the two most important days in his life was the day that he was born and the day he found out why. 
And so when we understand what our purpose is, then it's about being deliberate in designing a plan that allows us to actually fulfill it. And without that, we can have moments of, of happiness. But if we want true, lasting fulfillment, we have to understand our purpose. And I also believe we also have to be able to contribute beyond ourselves. You made a, uh, you mentioned a couple of things there, and a couple of questions jumped into my mind. You said people have to uh, understand and figure out what their purpose is. Do you find that is one of the most difficult things for people to do? It can be a challenge for people because we have a lot of information that is out there today. We have a lot of, of gurus trying to sell, you know, what is your purpose? And, of course, we're, we're in a capitalistic society that is trying to fulfill that need through material attainment. And, and don't get me wrong. I have nothing against material attainment. But if we're using it to define ourselves and our self-worth, then we're utilizing those tools and in those systems in the wrong way. So purpose, I think, is actually much, much easier than maybe what we believe it to be. It's not how much money we have in the bank. It's not the neighborhood that we live in, the car that we drive, the, the title of the, the career that we have. But our purpose is actually how we want to feel. Our purpose is a set of feelings. So if we think back, you know, as a kid, maybe we were on the basketball court or we were on a baseball field. And we weren't worried about it. you got to understand, I work with, you know, major league baseball players that, are, you know, are pitching for World Series. And I, I help them. They can be sitting and standing on the mound, and physically they're there, but mentally they're checked out. And so if we go back to our adolescence when we're on, you know, the court, or on the field, we weren't worried about, you know, are we going to make millions of dollars? Are we going to have raving fans or people that are, are going to be cursing and yelling at us? It's about how we wanted to feel, feel connected, to feel present. And so there's techniques that we can go back to actually discover your core values, where, which are a set of emotions. And if we can experience those emotions consistently and repeatedly, then we feel like we're serving our purpose. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I'm glad you explained that, too, because I knew a lot of listeners had the same question. You know, they walk around every day, and <clears throat> they know they're here, and um, they're stepping on uh, ants and bugs every day, but they still don't know what their purpose is. Exactly. And so we often settle and trade our time for a paycheck or – you know, we also do a lot of, of horse trading. You know, I'll give you this if you give me some of that. And that goes on in, in relationships. That goes on in all kinds of areas of our life. And the reason for that occurring today is that we don't have a, a dynamic system that can support us, that can allow us to actually feel like we can serve our purpose. I mean, imagine going to work and saying, hey, I'm here to serve my purpose and, and having that show up on our calendar. People would be laughing at you. No, there's no place for that. So it's not like we can just go into society, people will start laughing at us. But here's the thing. Throughout history, and Peter Drucker, speaking of aging or, or dating ourselves, <laughs> Peter Drucker said, throughout history, people had little need to manage their careers. They were born into their stations of, in life. And until the recent past, they relied on the company to chart their career paths. But in the 21st century today, times have drastically changed. And today we all must learn how to manage ourselves, and we're ill-prepared. It's the greatest threat to society today, not technology, not war, not politics. So if we have the responsibility to manage ourselves, but we actually don't know what our purpose is, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, a lot of mismanagement. <laughs> well, there's a lot of being, you know, running around. Is this it? Is this it? Is this it? And that's why we, we've seen so many Hollywood celebrities that they get to the top and they look around and they go, 
tell me this isn't all there is. I mean, we've seen the deaths just pile up, good people, but they get to celebrity status. They have all the money that they need. They have everything that they need, but nothing that they actually want because along the way, they were looking for their purpose and never understood that it was sitting right in front of them as a set of emotions. stuff right there, Chad. Chad, let's talk a little bit about uh, your your book. And I guess what really jumped out to me, like we started in the beginning about this whole uh, stress factor. So give us a, a little example on, uh, well, not example, but let's talk about that a little bit. How you can turn stress into success. Sure. So if we think right now, as an example, how many of us right now are not being present. See, our mind is jumping from maybe a huge to-do list that begins all over uh, tomorrow, or perhaps about making dinner, or ensuring that the kids' duties are completed because it's summer so they don't have homework, to when am I going to get a break and get to relax? It's Sunday. Do I actually get to relax sometime today? So it's all this kind of jumping around that can really affect our heart coherence. And this is the reason, in order for us to move from stress to success, the first thing we need to do is actually remove our to-do list and go and stick with a single calendar because that actually will promote presence in a Western Hemisphere environment. Because here's the reality. A to-do list is nothing more than another calendar with a different skin. So think about this. I said earlier, you get 168 hours a week, no more, no less. It's one week worth of time, 168 hours. And how many of us already have a full calendar? And then we have how many to-do lists that have how many additional hours? And on average, we're trying to cram about 220 hours into 168. No wonder why we're stressed out. We're constantly just bombarding ourselves that we can't win that we're always constantly behind the eight ball. I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, they get hung up in that, you know, because they they feel like if, if you know, they don't really have, a lot of times they don't have, like, set hours, you know. And, and I have friends that tell me all the time that they don't have a job. They are the job because they're constantly working from one thing to the next thing, and they really don't know how to shut their mind off. Have well, had, have you had to deal with those? I mean, I've I've worked in the corporate world and retired. I've bought and sold businesses for two thousand percent ROIs in the terms of, of millions, and I've created a company from a vapor of an idea to building it with with multiple in, employees. So I think I've got a pretty good grasp of what the business world is about. And somebody who says that they don't have a set amount of hours to me is somebody that is struggling with stress. I mean, could you imagine being a doctor without a set number of hours or a radio show host without a set schedule? How many of us are actually just dabbling? And I, I don't mean to, to you know, belittle or, or attack anybody, but, you know, I, I work in the industry that is, is growing by leaps and bounds, professional life coaching. And the first thing I ask somebody is, is are you certified? The second is, you know, how do you actually structure your business? And so many are in and out of the industry because they've got a passion, but they don't treat it as a business. They treat it as a hobby. And in today's world, anybody can start up anywhere, anything pretty much because of the Internet, because it allows us to reach billions of people. The question is, is do you have a compelling message? to solve somebody's needs or pain. And so that begins with really taking a look. The first thing that you can do is look at the language in your calendar and ask, does it reflect positive energies? You know, is there appreciation and gratitude that allows you to calibrate that, that very positive energy? It's one of the quickest ways we can transcend the ego of, oh, I'm an entrepreneur, I don't need a set schedule, 
to simply being grateful and not really being concerned, do you work eight hours a day or, or 12? Because when we are serving our purpose, it's not about the time. It's about the intention. And so the ego doesn't understand that frequency. It's bound by the scarcity, never enough or more is better attitude. And so what I say is, is be deliberate, have a schedule, and be thoughtful about the language that you're actually putting in the subject lines. Does that make sense? Yes, got it. Got it. Because I do have a lot of associates that they burn bright, but they burn out. You know, they, they, they're constantly on drive, you know, and they never shut down. They never regroup. They never just slow their pace. Which well, and that's that's, that's a great like point. Over the place. Yeah. And so one of the chapters in my book, Time Isn't the Problem, it, it has a chapter that says padding isn't just for furniture. We just think as as a business person or, you know, as a responsible career-minded person that wants to climb the, the, the ladder, that we just got to go, 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 whatever it takes. But do you actually anticipate for the un scheduled, important, and urgent items? And do you have actually enough padding in your day to be able to gracefully absorb those one-offs that are coming at you? Do we have the ability to take a pit stop? So if we actually think about that, we need a dynamic system of support. Otherwise, what you're trying to change your stress into happiness and fulfillment with a Band-Aid approach. See, motivation and inspiration are delightful, but they're only a, sha- a, a shallow-level solution, like a Band-Aid. It doesn't eliminate the root cause, and it may even contribute to problems down the road of, hey, man, I get to set whatever schedule I want. See, discipline alone isn't going to get you across the finish line. You need to know the strength of the purpose itself. So we need to understand that while we can go, 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 we also have a need for pit stop. And think about it. NASCAR, Formula One, and every sporting profession out there takes a pause. You could have the best technology in a, in a race car today. You could have the, the number one driver and the number one pit crew, but you will never win a race without one important ingredient, and that is to take a pit stop. But we have to be responsible to know when. Too soon, your competition laughs you, you lose the, weight, the, the race. You pit too late, tires start getting slick and you slam into the wall, you lose the race. And so what we need to understand and appreciate in that is we have to slow down in order to move faster and accomplish more. But it's counterintuitive and it's paradoxical, which is exactly why most people don't get it or practice it routinely. Well, until we, you know, we stop when we get sick. We take that big vacation, and we actually look at the word disease when we get sick, dis-ease. So for all of those that really want to run an empire, look at your calendar and ask yourself, are you managing your time where you can actually take that pit stop, where you can have a halftime? Basketball, football, every single sport has a period of why to refresh the batteries, to look at their strategy and see, hey, is this working? Are we going to win? But we think that we're the exception, right? Yeah, I think I definitely understand that <laughs> the reason you definitely have to slow down and charge your batteries. So how do we do that? Well, if we don't schedule it, we've got to schedule it. So people are like, eh, you know, I kind of just go with, with the flow. Okay. But if we look at our schedule and literally look at it seven days a week, Lamont, ask yourself, do you have planned pit stops? Are they strategic? Or do you do it only when the wheels fall off? That's one of the, the fastest ways to move from stress to success. And, and if you don't believe me, you can go take a look at, at Charlie Rose uh, interviewed Bill Gates and, and Warren Buffett. I think they've done okay for themselves, right? They, they've been moderately success, successful. So they were interviewed in January of 20, 
2018, I think it was. You can go look it up. And Bill Gates said one of the greatest gifts that Warren Buffett ever gave him is that he used to think having a full schedule was an indication of his level of seriousness. And he said it wasn't until Warren Buffett taught him to actually step away from technology, to actually step away from everything and just take a break. That's where our creativity flourishes. So if we want to be a musician, we want to write music, we don't do it with all the technology. We do it, and, and you can look at, um, is it Russell Rubin out in, in Maui? You know, he's, he's created more magic with m- musicians than probably more than Quincy Jones. And you look at the guy, he has nothing on the walls. It's a white environment, and he's, he's worked with from – I think Run DMC to uh, Striper to Beastie Boys to probably Celine Dion. I mean, he's worked with all genres, and everything is just very simple. And he says you need a space where you can just be creative, not have something that's being input skewing your perspective. That's where our genius comes in is when we have the moment to actually think and enjoy that pit stop. So if you want to be an awesome entrepreneur, where's your creativity time? A quiet place. Yeah, I've got a family. I I have to go find that place. (laughs) (laughs) I personally like to go fishing, man. That way I go out in the middle of the ocean and my phone don't work. Do you you care if you actually catch anything or is it just the experience that, that is equally as important? Well, you know, I, I think it's all of it, you know, because it's like a mini getaway. It's a vacation, and like you said, it gets you mm. away from the technology. Uh, it forces you a- into a situation where you just have to look at the ocean. You just have to, you know what I mean, uh, uh, smell the breeze, and, and you think about things. So a lot of things come into perspective. So I think that's why I do it. You know, um, it's 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 a forced getaway, and it forces me into that comfort place where I can just totally relax. Really, you know. Mm-hmm. I get. I guess it's one of my favorite things to, to do. It, but yeah, I guess we, we do. all have our ways it, it, to get it. I like to go river fishing, and I love to go fishing for salmon. I can't fish very well, as my my friends tell me all the time. They're like, dude. You need to stick to to these other things. I'm like, I don't care. It's kind of like <laughs> golf. My friends will be like, dude, what'd you get on that last hole? I'm like, I don't know. Oh, you got a you got a four on that. I'm like, then why'd you ask me? You're keeping score. They said, well, why aren't you keeping score? Because you know, it, it annoys you and because I get to enjoy the the game. It's all of it, you know. It's the outing. It's the you know a lot of fishermen to me, you know. Cause I fish with a lot of guys that's a little older than me sometimes, but it's it's the camaraderie, man. And I learned so much from these guys just standing there on the fishing boat, just looking out, you know, just listening to them talk. Um, exactly. So it, you know, and there's not an it, app you know, for that. All of that. Right. No, it is not. You're absolutely right. I fished for salmon a few times in Alaska. Um, I don't know what you can fish too much for here, rivers, um, for salmon here. What part of the country are you in? I am in sunny, tropical Florida these days, loving it. I got away from from the Great White North, and I can go fly to where the snow is when I want it now. (laughs) You say when you want it, huh? That's right. That's right. I, I enjoy the snow just so as long as I don't have to shovel it or drive in it, then it's beautiful because I can leave it now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fantastic. I love snowboarding and throwing snowballs and making ice cream out of fresh snow, but that's about it. I'm, I'm not crazy about it. Stay away snow. from the yellow snow. No ice cream. <laughs> no ice cream for the yellow <laughs> snow, man. Uh, wait. <laughs> What's wrong with the lemon snow, Jack? <laughs> oh, my goodness. My goodness. Um, so you were talking, Chad, you were saying that you'd work with a lot of professional uh, athletes, and uh, I know you mentioned, you know, baseball players, and I guess when you were talking about that, I was thinking about um, 
guys that are professional doing whatever they do, and they do this because they do it every day. But sometimes, like I said, they mind drift. They go, they go home, or they go to a personal issue or um, a family problem, and I could see how that would interfere with what they're doing. And it, you know, it seems like that takes the joy out of what they're doing as well. It can take the joy out of what they're doing, but it can also take the performance out of what they're doing. I had a, a, a client that will remain anonymous for obvious reasons, and he was in the latter years of, of his career, and he probably had about one or contracts left at most. And his game was off. So he'd get up uh, on, you know, out on the field and, and go to, to – he was a pitcher, and he was in a slump. And so he came to me, and let's first just understand, there's nothing I can teach these professional athletes mechanically. Right, They have managers and coaches, and they have an, an innate gift that they were born with that is amazing. But I've also worked with a lot of amateurs going into the pros, and I will tell you that your talent alone is not going to get you or keep you in the majors. And so this guy, he was, he was a career person, which is, is extraordinary in and of itself, but he was in a slump. And so he came to me and said, you know, what do I need to do? And what we discovered was – while he was out on the mound, his mind was worried about whether his wife was diddling somebody else. And so we look at that and say, that's, you know, do we have the ability problem. to – that's the personal problem, right? But how many of our lives partmentalized where we're like, oh, I'm here to do this job, and that's all I'm focusing on? No, it's, it's all kind of like a, you know, a, a, a salad where it all kind of mixes in. And often we're at work, we'd rather be at home. When we're at home and we've got the demands of, of running the kids around or, you know, the honey-do list, et cetera, we'd rather be at work. And so it's the, the grass is always greener on the other side. And so the work that we did was about creating a space where he could speak his truth through love and compassion, especially to himself. The ability not to conform to society's expectations of is it going to be the marriage or the career, the contract, but where he could come and actually be real and say, well, are you going to judge me on which one I choose? That's the value of coaching is somebody can come with their stress and find success by being able to make the decisions that are best for. And so he was able to do that successfully. And it allowed him to actually be present in both environments, and his slump was over. And so when we're able to actually speak our truth through love, a good example of that, by the way, is the last election, which you know everybody really loved regardless of what side they were on. You had two candidates. You had, had President Trump and you had Hillary Clinton. And regardless of your politics, people didn't trust or like really either of them. Right, we kind of elections are always kind of picking the lesser of two evils. Right. Not the most qualified candidate, right? But the problem that people have with both of them is that they spoke their truth, but they didn't speak their truth through love. See, there's a huge difference between speaking your truth and speaking your truth through love. When we speak our truth through love, there's compassion and empathy to ourselves. There's a grand canyon between the two. So how are we showing up in our interactions with others and with ourselves? How does that actually show up in our calendar? So how do we move from stress to success? It begins with looking at your calendar. Are you actually filling your calendar with things that you get to do or have to do? How many of us are putting things like workout in your calendar? Really, who, who really wants to work out? I mean, I'm kind of sick and, and, and messed up in the head a little bit, Lamont, because – you don't do an Ironman for any logical reason. Anybody who tries to give you a valid reason to do an Ironman is just full-out lying. There's no logical reason to do something like that. Why did I do it? Because it was okay, give, allowing me to meet yeah, I was just my finna, purpose. I was, I was just going to ask you to give me the illogical reason. It's the same reason I went into the Marine Corps. I wanted to see what I was capable of. 
I wanted to be able to do oh, okay. something that was bigger to serve so my country. Per- so and it, was I did personal, it was a personal. It was a personal test. Then you were testing yourself. It was a personal test. It is because each of those actually honored the emotions and my values that I wanted to experience. Right to see what am I, I capable of. When I was in, in, in boot camp, I had the flu. It was coming out both ends that you don't want to picture it. Not the place to be deathly sick. And my drill instructors were really compassionate and had a unique way of, of helping me get over that illness. That was facetious. So they said, yeah, drop it and just give me push-ups. And now in the Marine Corps, when I was in, you, you weren't allowed to have watches. You, couldn't, you, did, you didn't need to know what time it was, right, because every hour was hell. And so I just did push-ups until I had complete muscle failure. Now, let's think about the average person might be able to do, what, five minutes maybe of push-ups? That's pushing it. Somebody pretty fit could do five minutes. Somebody had a watch and came in afterwards, and all they could see was this, like, complete puddle. looked like somebody dumped buckets of water. That's how much sweat came out of me. My clothes were completely drenched. And the drill instructor comes up and, and grabs the back of my blouse, the, my jacket. They call it a blouse. I don't know why. It's about the, the only feminine thing, I think, in the Marine Corps. Picks me up off right. the ground about knee height and says, I didn't tell you you could quit, and drops me. Now, if you're faking it, you're going to use your hands to, to brace yourself, right? right? But if you've right. got nothing left, you're hitting that concrete face first. Not once. He right. grabs me again, lifts me up, and drops me a second time. He goes, you got 10 seconds to get out of here. It had to have been probably two minutes before I could roll over and get out of there. Next day, I didn't have the flu. But it was in that pain. <laughs> it was in that pain, and a friend told me, he goes, I, I was timing you. You did push-ups for 45 minutes. See, when we remove wow. the labels, when we remove the limitations, we are capable of doing 20 times more than we think we are. But the brain sends off this alarm and says, hey, this is going to hurt. This is – stop. Don't keep doing it. See, if we want to accomplish anything so, extraordinary, pain will so be part Chad, of the ride, 40, but suffering is an option. So 45 yeah. minutes, and, I, and I'm thinking, you know, uh, maybe 100 push-ups, you know, in three, four, five, ten minutes. But 45 minutes of nothing but push-ups, I'm trying to figure out, how many actual push-ups is that? That's quite a few. That's like what? I have million? no – well, here's the thing. One of my friends, Mark Devine, he's a 25-year former Navy SEAL commander. He runs a program in uh, Southern California, Ocean, uh, in um, um, Encinitas, I, I believe. And he replicates Navy SEAL Bud School. And the first thing you have to do through Bud School is drop and give 1,000 push-ups. And that washes out the vast majority of them right there, right? A good number of them can't even do that. But see, here's the thing. If we look at, I got to do a thousand, you're never going to make it. You got to understand that it's not your strength that holds you to your purpose. It's the strength of the purpose itself. You know, what's your why? Why are you there? For me, is I had to see what I was made of. What was I capable of? And they gave me a, a unique environment to put that to the test. It's how I became a regimental Marine. It's how I was most physically fit. So I could actually do that. But what you do, if you want to move stress to success, is break down your goals, your calendar, into small bite-sized pieces. Don't focus on the 1,000 push-ups. Focus on the first 100. And when that becomes difficult, the next 50, when that becomes difficult, the next 30, and the next 10, and then just the next push-up, and the next push-up. So you've got to make the rules easy to win. But how many of us are, have a calendar that is making it impossible? Powerful stuff there, Mr. Cooper. <clears throat> so why does that happen? Well, I think Mark, Mark Devine said it best. He said the industrial age brought about material prosperity that eliminated a lot of natural challenges that life used to deliver. But it also brought obesity, poor health, a lack of purposeful existence, and a general malaise with an alarmingly large percentage of the population in dependency. 
that's our 21st century today. We've got to know the strength of our purpose, our why. It's how I've helped a 10-time world champion boxer win again and again and again. Getting the championship the first time is way easier than holding the title nine more times. And without the strengthen of our purpose, we end up obese, poor health, just a kind of dabbling mindset. What uh, uh, what made you decide to stop being in the politics? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can imagine, but I just want to hear it from you. You caught me off guard on that one, but um, it's actually not it, not what you would think. Um, I think our politicians today have the right, and we need to give them the privilege to turn off the cameras. Give them moments where they can just go on a retreat, where they can close the, the, the cabinet doors and just talk without worrying about whether it's going to be pulled out of context, be you know stitched together in a, in a way that is – manipulated and, and not serving themselves or their intentions. But it's actually not why I left. In fact, if you want to really find happiness, go and, and be in politics because what you realize is I started off with coming home for the first couple of years, really, coming home and, and, and having a, a great fest. And finally, my wife, God bless her soul, at you know, one in the morning after I get done with these things and said, I can't do this anymore. Come home and you bring the problems at the dais, at, at, at the chambers back home. You've got to learn how to contain this. And so what I learned how to do is define that you're there to serve the majority, but understand that they will never or very rarely tell you, hey, you did a great job today. You only hear from when you screw up the minority that you didn't get to appease. But if you're trying to appease everyone, you're going to fail miserably. So surprisingly, when I left, I was actually had a year left of my, my last term that I ran for, and I resigned. And, of course, imagine the scandal in the newspapers and the press and the journalists wanting to find out about what, what's the scandal. And I said – my job is done. I did what I came here to do, and I'd rather actually give a year to appoint who we want and see how they perform than to just leave it to, well, that sounds like a good name. And so I actually stepped down because mission was completed. It wasn't about just drawing time, and it wasn't about the ego. It was about I went there to serve. I did it, succeeded, time to make space for the next. Well, you have honor, you have integrity, you have humility, and you're a good person. I can definitely tell that. And oh, God did not give me the, the, the characteristic of humility. Let's just be clear. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I think, but he I goes, think. that is going to be wasted on that guy. Forget it. <laughs> I, I, Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt, but <laughs> – I'll just say, for me personally in politics, I think I'd probably last about two weeks for it. I think I'd be too outspoken. And I don't think uh, in, in this uh, day in politics, I don't know, I don't know, these people are weak or they're afraid to say what they think or they're so busy posturing. I mean, I don't, I don't really know what's going on. So. That's a great, great place. If you'd like, I could actually help with that, and, and it ties into the book. It ties into how to move from stress to success because it's all of what you just said. But the question is, is how do we overcome it? Yes, knowing about it is half the problem. Uh, <laughs> figuring out the fix to it is the other half. Well, I would invite your audience to pick up a an author, God rest his soul, Dr. David Hawkins. And he has a, a, a book, and it was Force Versus Power. And the challenge is, as you said, you know, are they weak? Are they afraid to say something? Is Dr. Hawkins showed the map of consciousness on a scale of zero to 1,000. And we're suicide, which is at the highest numbers we've ever seen in over 50 years, by the way. 
and, and continuing to climb. That happens at an energy of 20, where we have shame and guilt out of 1,000. At 1,000, we have you know Jesus and, and Buddha as examples. But it begins for us, and in politics, much of people's language, and when we look at our calendar and the subject line, reflect energy well below 200. And anything below 200 is draining. It's living in effect of other people's decisions instead of being the cause of our own. And so that's things, you know, a fear and grief and anxiety, regret or denial, right? Being denied what you, you believe that you deserve. It's suffering and, and being a victim. But this amazing thing at the, at the energy of 200, and people used to ask me, what's the most important factor that you need in politics? And I said, courage. Courage was the rarest characteristic I saw in elected officials. And courage is also the tipping point between force versus power, according to Dr. Hawkins. Because at courage, we see that something's feasible. There's an affirmation and an empowerment that makes it permissible. And so when we look at our calendar, is the language that we're using enabling, inspiring? Is it offering mercy and compassion? Are we using our language in wise and meaningful ways in loving? And what I learned from an indigenous tribe that I work with in the South Pacific, they said it best. And this applies to the Western Hemisphere politicians as well as in general. Is the challenge in the Western Hemisphere today is that we have a lot of gurus doing spiritual without actually being spiritual. Spiritual is not a doingness. It's a, a beingness. So first, let's separate between religion and spirituality, right? Because that plays a lot into politics today. And a lot of people confuse the two, or they consider them you know, the same thing. But religion is generally about someone else's experience in relationship with God. This could be anyone from Abraham to, to Jesus to Buddha. But spiritually is about your personal relationship in connection with God. So if you look closely, you'll see that all the great spiritual leaders said the same thing. They didn't teach religion, which is another box defined by the ego, by the way. They taught right. spirituality. And they said even the least among us can, can experience what they experience. So as elected officials, as human beings, we think, oh, I don't want to hear about religion. We shun this instead of actually creating a relationship and having that carved time in our lives. Do that by limiting ourselves to appropriate language because of fear, because of scarcity. And that's just creating limp or, or pain and suffering, avoidance and procrastination. So I invite you, put empowering, juicy, and delicious language if a Marine can use juicy and delicious to speak about language, then just about anybody is, is capable of doing it too. Hmm. I was thinking about that one for a second. Um, a Marine, of course, a Marine could do it because it's really nothing soft about a Marine, especially they don't suppose to be soft for what Marines stand for, even though they could have a soft side to them. But uh, what we just mentioned a few moments ago, we find that a lot of individuals in, the, in our society today um, lacking courage, which I would say is weak, and um, they won't go there, Chad. They just won't. And I don't understand. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, I am a former Marine, and, and here's what's unique about the Marine Corps, United States Marine Corps, among any other branch in the, in the world, is there's a saying, once a Marine, do you know the end? Yeah. Always a Marine. And so you would think, you know, I went into the Marine Corps, and I grew up, you know, with, with uh, five other brothers is one part of my family. I have a lot of brothers and sisters. And so I was raised that if you're caught fighting in the house, you went outside and only one of you comes back because one of you won and one of you lost. Then I went into the Marine Corps. So I was pretty much, you know, 
for a good part of my life, I was happy, sad, or pissed. That was the extent of my emotions, primary color kind of, of mindset. And so you'd look at, you would think in politics, right? We got to be hard. You got a president that is hard, can't be soft. So how can a Marine find the light? How can I actually move from stress to success? And I look at it in, in the philosophy of Tai Chi in, in the martial art. Tai Chi is a martial art. And if you look at Tai Chi, their philosophy is that the softer you are, the stronger you are. The more vulnerable you are, the more powerful you are. So it goes back to what's contrary. We have to let go and instead of grabbing tighter. Regimental United States Marine, if I can let go and learn, you can too. Because anything that we fight, we make stronger. And it used to be that warrior of injustice to stand up for the fight you know, as an elected official, as a human being, prepare for battle. And I tend to be a rather competitive person looking at my, my track record. And I'm not saying be a dabbler, accept whatever you get. You know, straight, stay true to your values. But instead of fighting, instead of saying, oh, I got to be hard and can't budge, use empowering language. Use softness instead of force in fighting to become a warrior of love the instead of judgment and this begins with our language in the subject line of our calendar because the one thing that we are constantly looking at day in day out 168 hours a day is our calendar and so is your calendar about time management or outcome management right we go in i can't budge but what's the outcome that you want in order to do that, maybe you actually need to become soft and vulnerable. And as a leader, we need to understand you know, who has a right to see to what depth of that vulnerability. It is an old Russian proverb, Ronald Reagan stole it, is trust but verify. Don't just go into it naive. Be like, oh, well, I'm going to trust. Well, some people might have good intentions, but bad judgment. Our responsibility is to believe everybody has good intentions. But we need to verify whether they have sound judgment as well. That's powerful right there within itself. Chad, but listen, man, I wish you had made that point a little earlier, because we could have talked about that one for another 10 minutes. But this we're down to the last (laughs) minute or so of the show. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to tell everybody where to go get your book and how they can get in contact with you. Well, easiest thing, I appreciate that. Thank you for allowing me to, to share my message on your your show and be able to, to help really impact and, and better people's lives. You can easily just go to chadecooper.com. E is an echo, chadecooper.com. But I'd love to give your audience a gift. And that gift is if you go to chadecooper.com forward slash free courses, you will see in there I'm actually giving away not just my book is available in audio that you can get for free for a limited time. My publishers make sure I have to say that <laughs> for a limited time. But I'm also, I have a 12-week course that is about transformation, not just short-term inspiration or, or motivation. And if you want to see what that's about, it's one of the, the uh, just a, a great class that I did. And I'm making that entire class available for free if you go to chattycooper.com forward slash free courses. Now, I am asking for a donation that 100% goes to my foundation so that I can continue to contribute and support those that are unable to teach others how to fish instead of providing them fish for life. So I hope that people will go enjoy the course. It's free 100% if you feel you know, that it serves you give to the foundation definitely appreciate it Chad and I want to extend an invitation to come back whenever you feel like it we'd love to have you back again Uh, you provided listeners with the wealth of information and I appreciate you much and we enjoyed you been an honor thank you so much I'd love to come back anytime Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Chaddy Cooper, everybody. The show will be live, uh, available in its entirety in a few seconds. You can hear it wherever you are in the world. 
Go check out Mr. Chad Cooper and turn your stress into success. And we'll see you next week, 2.30 PST. Blessings, y'all.